Now I'd like to uh, do two things uh, today. I want to speak about this passage uh, firstly from, if you like, a pastoral uh, point of view, because here's a passage where Jesus deals with somebody's very personal needs and in doing so completely uh, transforms their life. And that's something I believe Jesus is still very much in the business of doing uh, today and actually right now. And next I want to uh, think about uh, the passage from an evangelistic point of view because Jesus was able to bring about transformation because he had the ability to ask the right kind of questions. And so that becomes a challenge for us today to think about the kinds of questions we use when we're talking about and uh, sharing our faith. And if you've been with us the last few Sunday mornings, you'll know that evangelism is the uh, theme of the day. So hopefully this morning we're going to be encouraged more in how we share our faith. So it's double-edged today, and hopefully no matter what you're at, where you're at, you'll find yourself encouraged to reach out uh, to Jesus, or I hope you're going to be challenged by him to share your faith in a more profound way. So we're going to start on the pastoral level, because right in the middle of the passage, which Di, as usual, superbly uh, read to us uh, this morning, there's a question, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? I wonder how you would... uh, answer that question. I wonder if, following what Dave's just shared, how we're asking, answering that question now. If Jesus was here in our presence right now, if if he was standing up amongst us and he said, what do you want me to do for you? If he was just, say, just quietly in a side room and it was just you and him and he said, what do you want me to do for you? How would you respond? What would you be saying to him? Because you know, When he's saying such a question, it's not like often that question is used. It's not like a waiter asking you what you want off uh, the menu. It's not like a doctor asking you uh, um, what she can do uh, for you when you visit her with your aches or pains. You know, it's not that kind of aspirational question about uh, winning the lottery or having a great big house. It's an invitation that question to reach right down into the very uh, deepest parts of you. It's an invitation maybe to go into that place of darkness, that place of pain and despair and hopelessness, that place of dread or anxiety, that place of shame or that place where you feel that you've got lost control. It's It's a request, that question, to enter into that place of vulnerability. Maybe it's a fear of health or a fear of poverty, or a fear of the future, or a fear of relationships, or a fear in relationships. You know that when Jesus asks this kind of question, he's asking something deep. He's allowing a deeper reflection and engagement, and asking us to peer down into our souls. He's asking, I think, for a deeper connection. Would you know how to answer that kind of question. Do, you, do we really know ourselves that deeply? Do we really know what we want if Jesus came to us and asked uh, that question? Because this is a question which is about our identity and our hopes. This is a question which is about unlocking ourselves and untangling ourselves and working out in front of Jesus what it really is we want him 
to do. It's designed, if you like, to move us from shallowness into the depths of God, to move us beyond, say, the important things like football results or success in our jobs or success for our kids or success in our exams or being in the right crowd and the right social set. It seems to be about moving us from the comfort which we all seem to strive for, judging by the amount of sofa adverts on the telly and, uh, or the latest fix we're after or that ultimate bucket list which we're all encouraged to create. Um, it's designed to move us also, I think, from comfortable worship, from prayers which are too safe and visions which are actually just mediocre and not making any difference when it comes to church life too. This superficial world which I'm just touching on here is a world which it's easy to exist in. It's, easy, it's, an easy, it's a world which is easy to think uh, we're happy in and fulfilled in. And this disguise of happiness can be dangerous as it means it stops us engaging with who we really are. There's a, there's a new book out I noticed uh, on Friday when I was in the shops called Middle Class Problems. It's based on a Twitter account uh, which uh, is called Middle Class uh, Problems. And uh, I'll give you some examples because I think this might be a place where some of us, whether we like it or not, find that we're uh, dwelling in. Um, let me tell you this one. Flory writes, uh, I'll give you her Twitter address afterwards if you want to know, but she writes, my cleaner keeps on tagging me in posts on Facebook and it's getting embarrassing. I, I don't know, do you know that kind of issue? Um, Greg Witten writes, that was quite possibly the most frustrating day of photography ever. Was not loving Tuscany one little bit. Um, um, my mum, this is from Chandler, my mum went to the store and didn't get me sushi because she thought I didn't like it. I'm honestly about to kill myself. Is that, is, do you go, go there? Um, Michelle writes, worst cleaning nightmare, toddler spilled an entire open container of quinea, I think you pronounce it, <laughs> then played in it, then walked around the house. I, I can see some of you empathising with that one. Uh, Green Aquamarine uh, Marine says, no, I just realised I forgot to buy hummus, what am I supposed to dip my lentil crisps into? Um, Paul Bauscher, this is one which many of you will identify. Too self-conscious to pay for Starbucks with the Apple Watch. <laughs> yeah, I can tell that was there. Uh, Monty Don, we all love Monty. He says, oh dear, Arger has gone out. No hot food or water till tomorrow. I, I'm in P's and G's, I know that's an issue. And Letty writes, haven't had a good avocado in weeks. <laughs> That's the level I think most of us live life at. And maybe it's easier if we enter into this kind of space where we make the flouncy and the superf superf superfluous, I think it's pronounced, the thing, where our entitlement for the good things in life means we forget about what it's really about. Jesus is calling us to real life this morning where he asks us, what do you want me to do for you? And it goes well beyond avocados. So, in the Bible, you'll notice that we've got our reading from Luke's Gospel this morning. And he doesn't name the person in the passage. 
uh, we've got this morning. But if you flick it to Mark's version of events, he does uh, name the person in the event, and we know him as Blind Bartimaeus. And it's important that we look at the reading to see what brought about this ultimate question of uh, Jesus. It comes simply from Bartimaeus asking the crowd, what's going on? What's happening here? Because he was a beggar, he was blind, and he noticed that things were getting busier. Perhaps more money was coming in his ways as the crowd began uh, to appear. He was probably thinking, this is a bit of all right. I can go to Waitrose and buy that posh food we've just been thinking about. So he asked, what's going on? And the reply simply was, oh, Jesus is town. This is the hyper bit of Jesus' ministry we're in at the moment. It's just a week or so off his death. He was on the journey up to Jerusalem and seemingly at his most powerful and popular. He would soon be entering Jerusalem as king. And rather embarrassingly for the crowd, Bartimaeus yelled out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It was as if the problem child was making a show of himself. It was cheesy and cringy, and it should be hidden. And the crowd didn't like it one little bit, but they didn't stop him. He shouted out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, this word mercy is so significant. Mercy was the thing which marked Jesus out. And mercy is the one thing that this man wanted. Being a beggar, he would have been programmed in deep into his DNA to ask for money. But something clicked in him and he shouted out for mercy. Now mercy is a massive thing. Just reading a dictionary gives you a huge definition. Uh, it's about a temperament to kindness, compassion and pity. It's the disposition to be compassionate. It's the discretionary power of a judge or a sheriff to pardon someone. It's an act of undeserved favour. It's blessing. And it's a key word if we want to understand Jesus. Because Jesus is merciful. He is kind. He is compassionate. He does pardon. And uh, his disposition is to bless and the blind man was shouting out, and he was wanting kindness, compassion, acceptance, and he was wanting to be blessed. He was wanting the fullness of Jesus to be in his life right there in the moment. That is what he wanted, mercy. And look at the crowd surrounding him. They're all gathering around him. And the mercy was the last thing on their mind because he was embarrassing. His position in the world meant he should just sit down right now and just get on with begging, put his begging face on. As somebody has said, the surrounding culture may want to ignore him, but Jesus, despite the blind man's lack of position in the world, wants to respond to his insightful cry to help. God looks at the heart, not at a person's social status. And that's clearly what God is wanting to do this morning. He is not looking at our status and who we are. He is looking at our hearts and our deepest things. And he is the one who will respond to our deepest pleas. Now, this word mercy is such an important word. We need to go back to the first century to discover how important and significant it is. Rodney Stark, in his book, The Triumph of Christianity, thinks about how did Jesus change the world? And he argues there was one huge factor which helped capture the attention of the whole world. Christians' revolutionary emphasis on mercy. Stark says, in the midst of squalor, misery, illness, and the anonymity of ancient cities, 
Christianity provided an island of mercy and security, and it started with Jesus. And this idea was so far from the ancient world and philosophical uh, thought. Um, uh, Let me just uh, read you this, because mercy was regarded as a character defect and uh, pity as a pathological emotion. Because mercy involves providing, un- providing unarm- unearned, sorry, unearned help or relief. It's contrary to justice. A philosophical argument at the time was that humans must learn to curb impulse to show mercy. The cry of the undeserving for mercy must go unanswered. Showing mercy was a defeat of character, unworthy of the wise and excusable only in those who have not yet grown up. Mercy though today, because of Jesus, is a sign of God's upside-down kingdom and upside-down values. And Jesus used this idea of mercy to change the world, and we see it especially now with Bartimaeus. Jesus was fearless in showing mercy because he knew mercy is what changes the world. Jean Vanier, I've spoken about him many times before, a Christian leader who founded Lush, a community, um, a community for people with severe disabilities, tells this story about a 76-year-old woman called Francois, also known as Mammy. Mammy had uh, serious mental and physical uh, disabilities. She was blind, she was bedridden, she was incontinent. She couldn't feed or dress herself. She was unable to communicate using words. And yet the entire staff of this large community followed the words of Scripture and showed Christ-like love for Mammy. But showing that Christ-like unconditional love uh, was wasn't always easy. One of the staff assistants, a young man called Louis, was assigned to care for Mammy. And Louis was disappointed because he never felt really drawn to her. And faithfully, as he was asked, he fed her, but he found it tiresome. One day, though, as he was feeding her, she placed her hand on his hand and smiled. It was, he said, a special meeting a moment of transformation, a moment of grace. And from that moment on, he loved being with her. When he had found what he had found tiresome and difficult became a blessing, love in that moment made all the difference. Then one day, a woman came to visit the director of that uh, community. And as the visitor watched Mammy struggle through life, weak, blind, voiceless, powerless to feed or dress herself, she offhandedly asked the director, what's the point of keeping Mammy alive? And the director looked at the visitor and said, Well, madam, because I love her. I think it's safe to say that Jesus' mercy meant that he could reach out in love. And especially this morning, he was able to reach out in love to Bartimaeus. And we see he did that by asking his question, born out of love. What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus, what Do you want me to do for you? That's all here this morning. What do you want me to do for you? Hadn't Bartimaeus just said what he wanted Jesus to do? Hadn't he just yelled out to Jesus he wanted mercy? But Jesus knew the mercy Bartimaeus wanted was more nuanced than that. He wanted Bartimaeus to put words to the kind of mercy he was after. He wanted specifics and details. He wanted to know what mercy looked like for Bartimaeus. 
It's interesting, a few years ago, uh, I, was, uh, I used a prayer model when I was uh, involved in pastoral care. Uh, I still use it very much occasionally, uh, occasionally now. It's called the New Zealand uh, prayer model. And quite simply, uh, you have a conversation with somebody beforehand, then, then you say, I'm not just going to pray for you. What we're going to do is create a space, and in that space, I'm going to ask you the question, what would you like Jesus to do? And then you respond to that question by just praying to Jesus what you would like him to do. And it's powerful and it unlocks many things. But the first few times I used it, it completely baffled me because we had a long conversation and people had detailed what they wanted prayer about to me. And so we then entered into this time of care and prayer. And uh, as they prayed, every time, we'd, it was lovely, created this space and it was very holy and it felt significant. And, and every time I thought, great, they know what they want to say to Jesus. I said to them, so-and-so, what, what do you want? I don't call you so-and-so if you do have a pastoral ministry, but I'm just giving you an example. So, so, although if I do, I've just forgotten your name, so never worry about it. I said, so-and-so, what, what would you like Jesus to do for you? And every single time, they said to Jesus something completely different to what they had said to me. Perhaps that's why Jesus asked the question the second time. And sometimes we have to be asked the question a couple of times or a gazillion times to get to the point of what we want Jesus to do. And in this moment, we see this type of thing going on. It wasn't, he didn't ask for mercy. This is what Bartimaeus said, Lord, Lord, I want to see. Obviously, he was blind. He wanted to see. Bartimaeus simply wanted to see. He wanted to be healed. Jesus' mercy was about giving him life in the future. It was about meeting his most basic need and yet his most impossible need. Jesus' mercy was about helping him take his full place in the community, helping him move from being an outsider to an insider. Jesus' mercy is about setting him free. Mercy and freedom go together, and they're wonderful and significant words of Jesus. Mercy and freedom are with us this morning. And of course what happened was a miracle. Blind Bartimaeus simply became Bartimaeus. He could see, he was healed. And that's just a detail in the story, though. The key thing was that he could really see. Sight had come to his eyes, to his head, but also, significantly, sight had come into his heart. Physically, spiritually, and emotionally, he was healed. And the gift of faith had been given to him. And Jesus said, faith had made him well. Here's a social outsider, face to face with the opportunity of experiencing Jesus' blessing, coming forward in the midst of that public rebuke to embrace Jesus. The switch from begging at the side of the road to journeying with Jesus pictures the change on direction of direction and status Jesus brings to life. No matter how low our social position has been, we come to Jesus and we're elevated to the highest uh, possible station in life, the position for which we were created which is a relationship with God. And that relationship is expressed in praise, and Bartimaeus' praise becomes infectious because all the crowd join in as well, all because of Jesus. Luke never in his gospel stops making Jesus the issue of the gospel. Jesus, the one who asks the question, what can I do for you, becomes the transformer. And that goes on today. And he carries on across history and across time and space, asking those who reach out to, to him, what can I do for you? He's saying right now, this morning, to us all, what can I do for you? 
and how are we going to dare answer him? So that's the pastoral bit. And I needed to press into that for a few minutes um, because uh, I'm going to move on to talk about evangelism. But to get evangelism to come alive uh, and to impact, we really need to understand how Jesus has changed us. And so the pastoral part of change is so important. Now, very conveniently for me, uh, in the context of this sermon today, we have Pentecost, which we are celebrating. Church's birthday, so happy birthday to us. Um, Today is the day where we remember Jesus keeps his promises and sent his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the reason why I can say God is here right now, God's Holy Spirit is in the middle of our worship. When two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus says, there I am too. The Holy Spirit is with us. Also, as we follow Jesus, his Holy Spirit is with us. It fires us up, inspires us, and helps us to go that extra mile. Pentecost was that day Jesus promised. It's an exceptional day when Jesus breathed all his life and power into the church and his followers. And today we remember the Holy Spirit is here so we can carry on with Jesus' ministry. Jesus actually told his disciples, you will go on and achieve greater things. The church will go on and achieve greater things than he actually did because he sent his Holy Spirit to help us carry on doing the work. The work of mercy and transformation carries on. The same Holy Spirit who inspired Jesus to say to Bartimaeus, what, I, what can I do for you, uh, is the same Holy Spirit who can inspire us this morning and keep us asking the same question. The Holy Spirit helps us to engage like Jesus so that people who are trapped like Bartimaeus are set free from those things which trap them. And one of the things about the Holy Spirit is that he was sent by Jesus to help us in this whole area of evangelism. I was really challenged this week by an article I read about Pentecost when it said Pentecost is when the Christian church received and was empowered to carry out its great assignment of evangelism. The mission given to Christians on Pentecost still stands. Thousands of years later, we are to share the saving message of Jesus Christ with the world. And as we do so, we should rely on the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to evangelism, the Holy Spirit walks with us. I was also challenged by some words of Charles Spurgeon, who wrote 150 years ago about this. But these words are really important for us to hear today. The Holy Spirit power is gloriously manifested in and after Pentecost. He remains at this hour, the present Emmanuel, God with us, dwelling in and with his people, quickening, guiding and ruling in their midst. In his presence, is his presence recognised as it ought to be? We cannot control his working. He is most sovereign in all his operations. But are we sufficiently anxious to obtain his help or sufficiently watchful lest we provoke him to withdraw his aid? Without him, we can do nothing. But by his almighty energy, the most extraordinary results can be produced. The Holy Spirit is no temporary gift. He abides with the saints. We have but to seek him aright, and he will be found of us. So that's all a rather long-winded way of saying the Holy Spirit helps the church, in other words, you and me, to be like Jesus in the place where we exist. 
Now, last week, James gave a really helpful uh, sermon about the power of story and especially the place of story in evangelism. I've been challenged this week to think about my story and how I can share my story and Jesus' story with those about me. And this week more so is about the power of asking questions, asking the right questions so that people can be unlocked and meet with Jesus and be transformed by him. I've been on a couple of train events the last few weeks, and the events were as different as could be. Both uh, were aimed at different markets. One was for high flowers. The top echelon of Edinburgh was all in this room, and it's all rather exciting. The other was for for rather humble and hopeless clergy like myself. Uh, But they had the same theme running all the way through them, and it was all about the power of questions. But more specific than that, the power of the open question and open questions um, go beyond the detail uh, into a much more uh, symbolic kind of uh, place. Open questions demand thought and a response. Open questions are those questions which start with which, who, what, why, uh, how, when, they are more difficult to ask. For example, it's much easier to, uh, to go up to somebody uh, and, you know, just say hi to hi, and you go, are you all right? Are you all right? Close question. It's expecting one kind of answer. Yes, I'm okay. It's much easier to be in that place. Simpler, you don't have any complications of having to do relationship stuff and all that type of stuff. You'll never change people's lives by asking questions like that. An open question would go, hi, how are you? You'd go, hi, how are you going? How are you? And then you put the power into the other person's hands. So they might want to just go, oh, I'm all right, that's fine. It might not be safe for them to share with you how they're doing. But it also gives them permission, if stuff's going on in their life, to share with you more deeply. Because you're not assuming or expecting anything. You're just hoping that you can have that relationship space where more is discovered and you can find out sort of stuff which enables you to encounter that person more deeply. Jesus used open questions in simply saying, what do you want me to do for you? And in doing this, he gave us another technique in evangelism and in helping people to encounter the good news. So we combine, if you like, the power of telling our stories last week with open questions, and it opens up the possibility for people to experience God in a very deep way. Not only do they hear the story, but then they can work out their place in the story. So here's the challenge. Are we up for this? Are we up for opening questions, uh, so asking questions like Jesus did, those questions which unlock a response and change people's lives like Bartimaeus and help people encounter the good news. You see, I definitely know I lack lack something uh, significant, which means I often shy away from these kinds of questions. And the thing I lack is courage. I find it very hard sometimes to open, ask those open questions which you know might press into embarrassing places. They might press into places where you might be rejected or they might press into places where you feel you haven't got the skills uh, to deal uh, with what comes your way. This sermon title this morning I've got is called Boldness in Asking. I know that often, most times, I'm not bold enough and I'm paid to ask the questions. So if I'm not bold enough, you know, makes, you know, you're probably much bolder than me. But most times, it's easier not to engage at that deep level. The thing I admire most about Jesus, it always has been, is his courage. Even though he 
could, he was sometimes scared, sometimes he was afraid. He was never lacking in courage. His courage is there on display with Bartimaeus this morning. His courage is seen in going against the will of the crowd. His courage is seen in asking Bartimaeus this question, which could have ended up anywhere. His courage is seen in hoping for the transformation which Bartimaeus receives. Jesus' courage is what changed the world. On a day like Pentecost, I can say to you that this same courage is there for us this morning as we continue the work of Jesus and ask to be filled with the Spirit. And so this morning the challenge becomes being prayed to be filled by the Holy Spirit as a community and, as in, and individuals so we have the courage to ask the questions which will unlock the kingdom of God's uh, activity so that Jesus' transformation can take place in people's lives, in our community's lives and in our world. So there's two things going on today as we respond. We're simply being asked by Jesus, what can I do for you? And here in this place, this is a safe place for us all to engage with him and bring him all of our lives, all of that pain and brokenness and ask him to engage with you. So transformation can happen. And uh, I think this might be especially for people, as I was preparing for this, if they're feeling angry or let down or ignored or in pain or feeling shame. I think Jesus is asking you this morning, as you're stood there, what can I do for you? And I hope you feel free to ask, answer that question as you need to answer it, in an honest, whole way. And for others of us, and I include myself here, maybe the response we need this morning is uh, a prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order that we have courage, not just to tell our story, but also to ask the questions which will unlock and transform others so that they come to know Jesus and they become his worshippers, just like Bartimaeus was unlocked and became a worshipper of Jesus. God bless us all as we try and work this one out.